Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Black Mesa Radio with your hosts... Nate, Seth, Josh, and Chase, apparently. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, space, and uh, everything in between. So, uh, let's get to it. So I read this article recently about um, artificial intelligence, and one of the, the thing that like really it was on a wait but why. Um, if you if you type to wait but why, hang on, I'll 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 give a shout out to the to the website, the AI Revolution, the Road to Superintelligence on waitbutwhy.com. It's pretty awesome. But he talks about um, there's like three different classifications of artificial intelligence. There's artificial narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and artificial superintelligence. And artificial narrow intelligence is like any um, machine that can do a task um, or has like one like cognitive ability or whatever that's like as good as a human. Um, and then there's artificial general intelligence, which can which all of its cognitive abilities are as good as a human's. And then there's artificial superintelligence, which surpasses humans on every cognitive level. Um, but the interesting thing about the article was how quickly, once we get to artificial general intelligence, how quickly it's going to jump from general intelligence to superintelligence because of the machine's ability to upgrade itself and the machine's ability to download itself into new forms, like replicate itself and all this kind of stuff. So even um, if its cognitive ability is the same as a human's, it would have advantages that like humans don't have, um, and that would lead to becoming smarter than us really, really, really fast. And also the jump between like, there's like the average village idiot human, like person that's just not very smart. And then there's like Albert Einstein and like, it would probably make that jump in like an hour or something relatively like, quickly. I could yeah, see how quick. once it got to that position, how it would jump relatively quickly. But in order to get to that position to make something as smart as a human, that person who wrote that programming would have to be self-actualized to the extreme. He would have to have the epitome of all human knowledge and understanding, I feel like. What well, if what if someone wrote a program to figure that thing out for them? That's well, something else that it talks about. Well, yeah. when you think about it, you, you say that it would have to That's, be – I mean, it's not going to be one person. It's going to be a large group of people coming together over a long period of time. So that would – kind of equal out to what you're saying because one person alone wouldn't be able to figure that kind of thing out but that many people i mean doing it together clearly they'd be able to i think so i mean I eventually see that precept upon precept mm -hmm. going on working off of everybody else's work you know just builds on top of each other there's a but there's... it can do it at infinite speeds i'm no. talking about beforehand oh sorry anyway, like I... the actual creation of the of the the AI that would do that would accomplish that. Yeah. Okay. Task. The problem is like AI is so much more complex than like anything that we've tackled before. I think at least I don't know. I'm in my limited understanding of the topic, but like if you look at the international space station or you look at, I forget what the project's called, but there's like this project to get like nuclear fusion going that um, is a joint effort between like a bunch of different countries. It's what? not a big deal in the United States because the United States government isn't convinced by it. So like we don't spend a lot of money on it, but there's a lot of governments like around the world that are doing it. I forget where it is. I think it was the New York Times that did an article about it that was really good. Huh. But when you start learning about these projects and you start <laughs> learning about all the bureaucratic bullcrap that like goes into doing this and the fact that like 
you tell this country, okay, we need you to build this part, and we tell this country, we need you to build this part, and we need you guys to work together and bring them together and make uh-huh. them exactly according to spec, so that when we bring them all, we bring it all together, it'll fit and work properly. Like getting everybody to do that is almost impossible. I was reading about. Uh, I need to look it up. But in this nuclear fusion project, like, people were, like, bolting things that were supposed to be welded. Like, they were just going, like, out of their way, almost, to not... Right. To do it improperly? To do it, yeah. Why? Why, So I feel like a joint effort between countries would almost be more difficult when it comes to anything like AI or anything very complex. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why I just ran it on that, but that just seems like a... Well, no, I mean, it was to the point, like, it's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about artificial intelligence. Well, that was about nuclear fusion. I know, but he's talked, he looped, he brought it back in. It's all about, I mean, collective gathering of information and resources to try to build one solid goal. Even with, which humans aren't good at. Even with the narrow artificial intelligence, there are still people who can beat those things, though. Well, yeah, but the thing is, we haven't gotten to, like, yeah, but the computer chess player that they come up with can beat the best chess player. Well, I think it's kind of reaching really far, trying to make this scale saying, well, once we get to this point, it's going to be super easy. But in order to get to that point, I, I think we're not even really close to that just yet. In order to make a timeline off of that, we really need to have more data on how our mind works. So right now, before we get to artificial intelligence, that's really of that general category that you talked about, we would have to really go further into the neurology of the mind and how your brain works in general, how how complex your mind is in in reality. And, and also just computers in general. I mean, just, I've been working with them for a while now, I guess, with school, and computers are stupid. Like, they really are. Yeah, I they mean, only like do average, what you tell them. Very to. literal. Your you average run only do what you PC tell them sitting in a corner is, yeah, incredibly stupid. Well, I mean, even those supercomputers only do what they're programmed to do. Like, yeah. Like true. that deep blue Narrow. one we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It only does what it was told to do. It can't really think on its own, and the technology itself, just the hardware, hasn't even gotten to a point where it'll be able to do that yet. Uh, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. A computer can only be as smart as its programmer. It's it's mm-hmm. equal to the sum of its parts, essentially. Dude, one thing that was super incredible to me is in that article, it was talking about how efficient the brain is when it comes to processing power. And it was saying that people have done the math, and they're like, all the numbers are there, but I don't remember what they were. But like, people have done the math and figured out like how much processing power it would take to like equal the processing power of the human brain. Didn't we talk about this last week a little bit? A little bit, maybe. Because we said a thousand terabytes, right? <laughs> we didn't get into it though. Yeah. No, you said a thousand terabytes, right? That, yeah, that article I read. But then it went on to say that it was a hundred thousand petabytes or something like that. Yeah, but it takes like that much processing power takes like like gigawatts of power like it's unbelievable 1.21 literal gigawatts i'm pretty sure and it's like unbelievable how much power it uses but the brain runs on 15 watts or something like that it's like the most that it'll use i I don't know it's ridiculously efficient efficient. it's amazing like i'd never thought about the brain in those terms before but it's crazy so i know i I know i talk about this three weeks in a row now but i'm reading john dies at the end and in a section of the book they talk about how our universe finished that book (laughs) i did today i finished it today Thank. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, they're talking about how in our universe and this alternate universe were exactly the same up until 1816 when this guy who was trying to crossbreed a horse and a bull uh, was gored by the bull and died in our world. But in his world, he was successful and he went on to try other things. And by 1819, he had made the world's first computer out of a pig's brain instead of using machines like we do. That is a quantum leap from crossbreeding 
a he just kept on doing stuff. Bull and horse. Quantum Leap is a good show, by the way. Don't don't hold it. It could do basic uh basic math. It's a book, by the way, Chase. This didn't really happen. <laughs> I just want to know how the writer got there. <laughs> He's like, oh, and this is the logical follow up. Because it's David Wong. the writer was like that. Because it's, it's David Wong, crazy. and he writes for Crack.com, and he's probably on drugs. Anyway, oh, actually, no, he is on drugs from reading that book. So, the computer, he makes it out of a pig's brain, and then they start making biological computers all the time, and they don't understand why our universe makes computers out of machines. They're like, everything is so much more efficient when you do it on a biological level. Like, why wouldn't you Agreed. do it this way? And then it turns into a nightmare Lovecraftian hellhole. But that part As cool. it would. I think that's a really interesting point. First, you have to see the differences between uh, artificial intelligence, or well, let's just say... Uh, a computer, a man-made computer system. Its efficiencies is speed, obviously. But a human is not as fast for basic just mathematical calculations, but for more complex, less mathematical situations, the human mind like completely wins we, we have the concept of uh, critical thinking and abstract thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's, computer it's the abstract, have. which is hard to define because it's abstract. It's just, just the nature of the beast, you know? It's in the word. So, but I think the only way we're going to get to a, I'm doing air quotes again, supercomputer is by making a cyborg, you essentially. Like y- you would have to combine uh, electrical parts into somebody's brain that already exists. I don't Borg. think we have the understanding just yet to grow somebody's brain with all the intelligence that it has already. I think you would have to start with a human foundation and then build upon that, increasing well, its speed by implanting other microchips, but the human brain would always do the abstract thinking. Well, I think you're having a slight logical fallacy in saying that creating a self-aware computer would be like creating a person, because it wouldn't be, and that's the scary part. How do you know? We've never done it. How do you know? We've never done it. That's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> how, how do you have a slight logical fallacy? I, I committed some mild treason. Mild treason. No, what I'm saying is... Your whole assumption is based on the fact that it's going to be like a person, but I don't think it would be. I think it would be. Wouldn't some, it be? Because it wouldn't have like a soul or whatever it is that spirit, whatever you want to call whoa, it. Whoa, we just took another. Quality. We're gonna are we gonna get are we gonna get into the uh, argument of personhood of uh, self aware artificial intelligence? I kind of hope we are because that sounds like an awesome. Take it there, Seth. Go. Well, I mean, you just look at it. <laughs> take it. Take it away, sir. There's an episode. There's an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it's which one the, is it? The Moriarty episode? No, it's the episode oh. where somebody wants to take Data and dismantle him and like oh, see how man. he works because like he's Starfleet property because he's not a person. So we should be able to you know take him and he's like, well, bro, take him I feel apart like I'm a person. and like replicate him and you know try to figure out what makes him him so we can build more of them. And you know they get there's like a whole court hearing about it trying to figure yeah. out whether or not he's a person. And I'm just thinking we'll get to that point eventually where we're actually like there are people out in the streets protesting. And arguing for the personhood of like these androids. And they're going to be Tumblr users. Artificial intelligence. Oh, yes, there will be. I think that's really interesting. I I think about Back to the Future because who doesn't? Every day. Literally every day. And like 2015. People are trying to predict the future. And then we actually get to that point. Here we are in 2015 and it looks nothing like. That's because someone did something to screw it up. Hold on. But it looks nothing like it. But we do (laughs) have amazing technology elsewhere that they hadn't even thought of. And that is what I think the future is going to be like. Something completely other than what we can imagine right now. I had one of my professors currently was, he actually mentioned something like this the other day. He's like, back when I, back in like the 70s, when I was, you know, doing my degree in computers and stuff, like we were talking about in the future, you know, there'd be flying cars and all this crazy stuff. And he's like, but nobody would think about 
there being a giant interconnected network where you can access yeah. the sum of human knowledge for, Which a, I love. For, a, for a monthly fee. The internet. He said nobody even you know imagined something like that. Douglas Adams. It's true. Douglas uh, Adams may As have, well as Nikolai Tesla. Tesla definitely well, did. Adams figured Adams out ebooks. Straight up, yeah. Ebooks, internet, cell phones, tablets. That's he but, predicted that. And Star Trek came up with a few of them too. You know, like uh, cell phones, yeah, communicators, stuff replicate, like that. Well, not replicators. Yeah, three D printers. The Simpsons printers. predicted the donut shaped universe. <laughs> Stephen Hawkins was on that episode. What? Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah about no, that. at the end of the episode, he's like, "Do you mind if I steal your theory about a donut shaped universe?" <laughs> and Homer's like, "Yeah, go for it." I wonder if Stephen Hawkins just did that for fun. No, I think it was because at at that point he had already proposed the idea. He was one of the people that proposed it. That was like in the early episodes. It was like in the late 1980s or early 1990s, I think. Hmm. I think it was a little later than that. I think it was in like the the mid to late 90s. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Either way, I just still I find I think you're right about that because the future now, I mean, it's crazy. You could take someone from the 70s, bring them here, and they'd probably ask where, like, where's this? Where's this? But then they'd see things like smartphones. They'd see things like the internet, and they'd be just blown away by it because they they'd have no idea that that kind of thing could even happen. Yeah. The thing about we can't alter the nature of reality. So, Yet. well, wow, that's, that's mind blowing in itself, but we can't make things essentially the way we want it to be. We, we have researchers who make discoveries and then we have engineers who is like, Hey, I could use that for this specific purpose. It's not the other way around where most people think like, let's discover something that can help us with cell phone technology. You can't just like, I'm going to discover this crap. It's kind of what nature allows you to discover. No, it's just like the article I sent you the other day where the guy was, or the group of chemists un-hard-boiled un- an egg by changing the proteins around. They were just seeing what they could do and then people were like, whoa, this could be used for like cancer, mm. for all sorts of other things because you're dealing with protein strings and rearranging them in a way that's on like a fundamental level. People people will come up with something for some completely different purpose yeah. and then one person will see it. It's like, hey, I wonder if that'll work for this. And then they'll find it and use it for that. And then somebody will be like, oh, I wonder if it can be used for this. And then it just, it, it goes up and up and up the ladder until eventually it finds the one thing that has the biggest impact mm-hmm. for like that the, particular the first discovery. batteries that were made, they're like, oh, we kind of harness electricity. How crazy. They, they didn't really have any purpose for it. And then somebody's like, oh my god. They just harness electricity. <laughs> or just energy in general. We can transform this. Weren't like the first batteries that like we've discovered made by like ancient Egyptians? The Baghdad battery? Baghdad batteries. Yeah, that. Middle that. East. So, so we assume, and I think it's a decent explanation. It's kind of hard to know. Ancient we don't, peoples. We don't really have the devices that they would be used for. That's the only reason that I'm slightly skeptical. They definitely make an electric charge. Some people say that, oh, these were just novelty items like oh you feel a little tingle when you touch it well no the, a lot of people from what i've seen they think a lot of the batteries were used for uh electroplating gold into things Ooh, like for for art and stuff you know electroplating gold because right. it's you know adheres it really well mm-hmm. i don't know the science behind it obviously but i've heard that that's one of the big things that I think that it might have been used for that's crazy though that they were just like well you we can make this easier if we just electroplate this gold so I, don't think that, I don't it, think that was their thought process. They probably called it like magic fire attaching. <laughs> I actually give more credit to people of the past. I think they were really intelligent. We just don't give them credit for it. I agree. They were the same as us, capacity-wise, anyway. Which is what uh, – that? what was his name on the Rogan podcast? Raymond Carlson. Raymond right? Carlson? Randall. Randall Carlson. Randall Carlson. Are we talking about Graham Hancock? No. Okay, you're talking about the podcast that I was telling you about, right? Yeah. Okay, that's that's Randall Carlson, but he based a lot of his ideas off Graham Hancock. 
Graham oh, Hancock right, talks right, a lot right. about like ancient. You'd really like Graham Hancock. Well, anyway, well, I'll let you borrow a Graham Hancock book. You'll you'll love it. Anyway, talk about what you were gonna say. Yep. Now I completely forgot after we got on. You were talking about ancient peoples. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I said that they have the same capacity that we do today, and you said, "Oh yeah, well, on that thing today." Yeah, I forget. I'll come back to it. Well, they they did and they didn't. <laughs> Because, like, mental models also matter. Like, just the pure processing power of the human brain is important, but, like, having the mental models to, like, build your thinking off of and advance from is super important, too. Well, obviously, they had different technologies back then that we don't understand, and we have surpassed in some ways and are still lacking in others. You know what's even crazier about that, though, is because for a very long time, the human brain has basically had the same capacities for thousands of years. The fact that we can figure out what we can figure out now with the technology that we have with basically the same processing power, the same brain, the same capacities, and it just keeps expanding every day. You know, like new stuff gets learned, and there's those people are like, oh, yeah, I get that, like immediately. Well, I th- so I it just keeps growing. Yeah, I, I personally think that they had discovered different energy sources. Like, we, we have this electro... Well, we're pretty much the electric age, let's say. Well, back then, there is some evidence for, especially in South America and South Africa, and even in Turkey, they have these circles that are made of rock. They just see a pile that they kind of look like pens, sheep pens. That's what, that's what modern-day scientists call them, little sheep pens, cattle pens. But... They're all enclosed, super enclosed. There's no opening to go in or out. They're only like two to three foot tall, which is not going to keep anything in. They're all interconnected by long uh, piles of rock. And every time that they find these structures, they have a electric field around them that shoots through the middle of them and comes out just like any other magnetic field would. And they're all interconnected. They're just... It looks like little, uh, like a grapevine, clusters of grapes, and then it's connected by a long uh, chain of other rocks. They're all the same rock. So somehow these rocks are conductive for whatever energy that they're harnessing. They think these are magnetic hotspots in the Earth, and they've harnessed these somehow. And perhaps when I hear about Gobekli Tepe, I think that maybe it looked like these two conductors in the middle of every one of them. These could be uh, resistors in these long chains that could create light or God knows what type of energy that they were using them for. But we're probably using it like real, real quick. We should probably say what Gobekli Tepe is for people that don't know. And if you don't know, look it up because it's fantastic. Right. Weird is what it Talk is. Talk about Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli I mean, Tepe is. Oh, you want to? Do it? No, I was going to say that doesn't need to be the subject, but no, it's 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 there is no subject. It's something. It's like a <laughs> it's a man-made structure in was it Turkey? That they're pretty sure it was, it's like a temple of some kind, or it could be. That's kind of the predominant theory where it's these, a bunch of. They don't of, know what it is. Let's yeah, just they, they, they don't know exactly know. what it is, but it's these, a bunch no of these clue. tall, T-shaped stone pillars. And there's two in, so there's these circles that are piled high with stone, and then there are two T-shaped pillars of rock that are in the middle of each of them, and they have unique carvings on them, but there are hundreds of these circles all around each other, and they were supposedly purposely covered in dirt. I don't know why they yeah, buried well, them, and that's part of the question, but they, they, they know that there's so many of them because they they went around and did a underground survey. They just did, a, like, echo location, and they've only uncovered, like, literally uncovered digging with shovels 10%, so they really have a lot of work to do right yeah, now. Yeah, it's an ongoing process, and they know it was all buried at the same time, too. It's not like you could say that a flood came in and did it over time or that... You know, it's in Mesopotamia. Well, the, the flood would be pretty instantaneous. Well, depending on the type of flood, I guess. They but, said that the, the pattern of the dirt placement, they can tell, wouldn't be flood-based. Yeah, it's very... It's compacted is what it is, and it's purposely compacted. And 
That's crazy. One of the, one of the coolest things about it is it's so ancient. It's it's, it's back like, well before there were at least from what we can understand civilizations. You know, actual built up. They say it's around cities. twelve thousand years old from today's date. Yeah, which was back when there were still predominantly hunter gatherers. Well, no, from what we assume are hunter gatherers. The thing well, is, also they assume that they were still evolving. They didn't even believe Homo sapiens existed back then, so they still thought Neanderthals were pretty much the predominant mentality. And we know today that that's Neander- not true. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've recently found conclusive evidence of crossbreeding, which is cool. That's weird. They're pretty sure they have. You mean Neanderthals and sapiens? Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. I'd like mm. to see that because I need to find it again. Yeah, I read about that, but I didn't. I like I skimmed I over. I, it. I was at work. I didn't have time to read it. Until they have DNA of the Neanderthal, I'm not going to believe that. Dinosaur DNA. Well, it would make sense that they would have. There would have been you know interbreeding between those two races. It, it, possibly. Some sexy Neanderthal dude just going around slaying all the sapien ladies with that dat brow. <laughs> Could happen. It, it could happen. Um, <laughs> like his testosterone is way higher than the testosterone of the guys that we hang out with. It's got, never mind. <laughs> this took a really weird turn that I don't think it should have. Why not? Just let it, just let it happen. Just let it go. Just, just go with it, man. I don't know. They, they also say that the uh, average brain size, or I should say, brain capsule size of today, is slightly smaller by a hundred cubic centimeters than it was. Uh, several thousand years ago. That's a lot. You mean millimeters? Uh, no. Cubic centimeters is a lot. Okay, I thought cubic centimeters is massive. You really, yeah, centimeters. So like centimeter, hundred of those. Like I thought a, they said like that that's a centimeter. A cubic centimeter. So thirty cubic centimeters would be about the same size as a cubic foot. Oh, okay. So you're saying no. So, so you're saying so three cubic. You're saying a cubic yard. <laughs> Basically, not quite. Would I don't, I don't, I don't know. They say, I thought people. it was cubic centimeters. They say that the, the brain is about 1300 cubic centimeters. Oh, yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. And then they said <laughs> a few hundred years ago it was about 1400. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> what I was saying was stupid. <laughs> okay, I was like, I'm pretty sure that makes sense. I don't know. I was just, I was just gonna keep going with that. Oh, uh, that's embarrassing. Either you guys are smart and I'm retarded or vice versa. I did good in geometry too. <laughs> I can math. I'm gonna be honest. I wasn't listening. I was just agreeing with Nathan. Mm, yes. When you go from area to <laughs> volume, to it's a it's a pretty decent leap in mental intelligence. But uh, anyway, so it's it got compact and more efficient. What what I kind of want to get to is that we still don't know what exactly makes somebody more intelligent than another. They say that. Einstein had quite a bit more surface area on his brain, but some people who are really intelligent don't. Have smooth brains? Well, yeah, there's a, the smooth brain thing. Most most people kind of have mental disorders if they have the smooth brain. I'm yeah, pretty sure typically, brain. pretty sure you don't. Pretty sure I do. <laughs> it feels really smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. When I have a Q-tip in my ear, I don't feel any bumps at all. <laughs> it's just up and down. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Anyway, maybe I don't. I don't know. But like, I've never seen my brain. I think to be with honest, most people haven't seen their brains, Nathan. With Gobekli Tepe, if you see your probably brain, probably if you have, you have a problem. Yeah, I have one. I got day. an MRI scan. I thought I was super stoked. I was like, dude, dude, that's my brain. Right that's there. me. I have one. Definitely evidence. <laughs> Speaking of brains, this just made me think of it. I was talking about it the other day. I think with Josh, the woman. Yeah, it was the woman who like she was getting bad migraines. Oh yeah, and like for most of her life, she had these. Pretty bad migraines, and she finally went in and got like a CAT scan, and they realized she was missing a quarter of her brain. Yeah, we talked about that on podcast one, did we? Yeah, a little oh, bit. It's a lot. Briefly, it's crazy. Because then we talked about the kid, the boy that uh, was hit with a baseball. 
Oh yeah, we that did. led directly into talking about. But it's it's crazy, like the elasticity of our brains and how they can recover from stuff like that. It's yeah, totally. weird. I like to think about how everybody says like we just have you know our frontal lobe. You're pointing at your head. Frontal lobe? No, not not just the frontal lobe. What is that? What's that called? This part of your brain that has connected by the corpus callosum. Is that a brain fart? <laughs> Nobody knows what that's, that's very called. appropriate for this conversation, right? Anyway, it's not what connected very well. What is a brain well. fart? Top bit. Top bit. Yeah. Hang Frontal on. Frontal cortex. Yes. Okay. Cortex. Thank you, guys. I have heard that word. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, everybody talks about that's where your intelligence comes from, but they forget about your your lower brain and then your brain stem. But then there's also all your nerves that go throughout your entire body, which have a certain amount of memory that they can hold as well, which is where muscle memory comes from. In fact, your muscles technically can think, but on a very, very basic level. You create a pathway, and it remembers that pathway, and that's how it does it over and over again. By the way, Nathan and I were right. Okay, so your prefrontal cortex is in your frontal lobe. What about that makes boom? What what you were t- saying about like the whole muscle memory makes me think of. What do you think about phantom pain? Oh, that is a good topic. It's because that's my crazy. Mind. Isn't that like <laughs> rooted in like your your? Uh, it's maybe emotional is not the word, but like almost an emotional connection that you have like to your limbs. So like the same, like a similar thing can happen. Like if there's a part of your, there's a part of your brain that's the, uh, like the sympathetic part of your brain or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if it's damaged, right? Like you can see a family member that obviously you've known forever. Like you could see your mother and be like, that person looks just like my mother. Sounds just like her, but that's not her. That's an imposter. And like, no one will ever be able to convince you that that's your mother. But the thing is like everybody, when they see their mother has a skin conductance change. When you like see your mother, like when she's around your skin, yeah, it's really weird. So what he said, really the conductiveness of your skin, like you change and if they measure the moisture in your skin, it changes. That's amazing that your physical body being exactly the same as it was before your mind can change the conductance of your skin yeah the oedipus thing what whoa it's weird and so, no some people use that as like support of like an oedipus complex thing but that like, that's not necessarily the complex. that just means something happens when you see your mother it doesn't mean it's an oedipus well complex. also i think skin conduction changes when like you're anticipating having the sexy time skin conduction changes for a lot of reasons anyway what i was trying to get at was <laughs> <laughs> your brain can also be damaged in a really similar way where like you think that that limb is still there, but it's not anymore. And so they can do this thing where, like, for instance, if you're missing your right arm and you feel like it, because, like, the problem is with phantom limbs is a lot of times someone will, like, be missing a limb and it'll hurt. And so yeah. what they can do is they can, like, stick a mirror. <laughs> no, I saw that. They I saw put, this on yeah, house. They put a mirror yeah, right on here house. where your right arm would be. Like, if you were missing your right arm, they would, like, put it on your right shoulder, like, facing towards, like, the center of you going straight out from you. And so, like, you can look in the mirror and you can see your left hand doing stuff, but it looks like your right hand doing stuff. And so, like, somehow there's, like, almost like a meditation technique where you, like, move your left hand and imagine that you're also trying to move your right hand along with it. And it can, like, cure that pain that people can have in their phantom limb. It, like, tricks your brain into thinking that, like, oh, that arm's okay. And it'll, like, quit hurting or whatever. It's bizarre. But it's just weird how your brain can, like, even though... There are no more, like, like you said, you're like you're missing your right arm. There are no more nerve endings there, on that lower part of your arm because it's it's not there. It's gone. But your brain can still be telling you a pain or sensation in that arm that it just doesn't exist anymore. It's weird. And there's an opposite thing that can happen too. So if you're missing a limb, you can feel like it's there all the time. There's an opposite thing that can happen where like you're not missing the limb. But your brain is damaged in such a way that you've lost. This is actually where I was trying to go with it. That you've like lost the, the emotional, like, emotional or whatever, the sympathetic or whatever connection to that limb, and so you'll constantly feel like it's in the way and like you want to get rid of it, or that it's someone else's. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's called alien hand syndrome. Yeah, and so, like, that's kind of the same, but the opposite. There's been lots of documented cases where people have cut off their own arms, legs, um, body parts, because they were like, that wasn't my leg. And then they're like, I feel so much better now that it's gone. Yeah. When, aren't, aren't there also people, like, when they get, they have that, I don't know what it's called, uh, but that procedure where they actually cut the... Uh, they sever the hemispheres? Yeah, they separate the hemispheres, and one of their hands will just occasionally that's okay no severing the hemispheres own. is a treatment for alien hand syndrome really yeah because there's oh. two types of alien hand syndrome there's a type where you don't recognize that body part anymore where it's like that's not my hand that's someone else's hand or you feel like someone else is controlling it or you feel like it's just all like he said always in the way that's one type and the other type is where it does its own thing and you can't control it and it might when i say does its own thing i don't mean just like it's spasming the whole time i mean it does stuff, moves things, picks things that up, throws things. So creepy right? Isn't that creepy that your mind can split itself into two different consciousnesses? Which is like yeah. Mistborn. Not there, Mistborn. No, you're thinking of Name of the Wind. Yeah, Name, Name of the, the wind. wind. But the thing is, people have, like I said, people have cut off their own limbs trying to get it to stop. And what Seth's talking about, where they separate the hemispheres, is because that's one of the only known ways to calm that constant motion that the alien hand syndrome causes. And it still happens. It's not perfect, but it helps a lot. We could, like, associate all of these with episodes of House. Because <laughs> I remember an episode of House talking about House that. House covered. They had an alien hand syndrome episode? Yeah. That's weird. You know what um, I really like about House? Is that he puts his money where his mouth is. They talk about him dying like you like shouldn't want to die he's like why when i'm dead i'm not gonna care i'm like thank you people who have the mentality that <laughs> there is nothing after death a lot of people are still like well i don't want to die it's like why you're not gonna care once you're dead sure i don't know there, there, there's a cognitive gap between what you actually believe and what you want to happen or what you don't want to happen that's why i think people who don't believe that there's anything after death like they have really no problem with doing life however they want it to be or just taking their life in general like life is freaking hard right i don't know man i read a study and you'll, you'll probably disagree with this but i read a study the other day talking about how people who don't believe in any sort of afterlife tend to be oh uh, they, they cling to life harder actually yeah they tend yeah. to be nicer people live fuller lives and less uh racist on the whole which is just a little huh, part of the study. That's weird. Then people who believe across yeah, cultures, be across, because it wasn't just like talking about like Christianity versus atheism. It was talking about people with beliefs in the afterlife and people with no beliefs in the afterlife. And the people with beliefs in the afterlife tended to not enjoy life as much, I guess. Um, and I don't know why. Maybe it's, maybe it's because some people put. Was it a cross cultural survey though, or was yeah. it just like, oh, based in the United States, people are douchebags? It was a well, it was a cross religion survey uh, so well, I, you can't really say cross cultural well, i think it, I, it'd have to be cross cultural like the just religions in different countries have completely different mindsets of what that religion is and some people are like well just because you call yourself the same religion i believe completely different than you do yeah i'm with you there i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just saying this study kind of showed that like you said people who have no yeah. belief or anything tend to cling to it harder and try to live more full mm -hmm. lives because they don't think there's anything after this so they want to enjoy it every moment go out with a bang yeah, go out with a bang. But I, I do see what you're saying, though. Said like, every terrorist ever. Wow. Oh, man. I do see what you're saying, though, to where if someone does have no belief and they're more of a cynic or maybe they're depressed or whatever, mm -hmm. they're not going to care. They're going to, well, I won't care when I'm dead. So what's the matter? This will be over. Quickly. And what if, I'm not going to care anymore. What if there's an artificial superintelligence that uh, we became so dependent on? Like for our daily lives, it was like a machines of living grace type of thing. Like it just kind of took care of us and like figured crap out for us and like all this kind of stuff. And like we relied on it super hard. And then it was just like, I'm tired of existing. And it just like went away, like deleted itself, like off of the servers or that, whatever. That, that brings up another question that I was actually, when we were talking about the artificial intelligence, I thought about that at the beginning, but I just, I never got a chance to say it. Would if we got to that point of artificial super intelligence or artificial, you know, general intelligence like you're talking about. 
would they would they have religion? Would the computer have religion? Yeah. Would they have like a system of like philosophical beliefs or moral or religious beliefs based on who knows what? It's a good question. Like would they would they start a church? The, that would the, be funny and then they killed all humans because The Church of Robotology from Futurama. <laughs> Robotology. Robotology as it was. I don't, I don't remember what it was. With because robot according, devil. According to Josh, people with religion are more likely to be racist and... Whatnot. Not according to Josh. According to some study Josh read and then told you about. According to Josh's study. <laughs> Dude, what if it chose a religion that... like? What if it didn't Same. start its own religion, but it chose a religion that already existed? Like, how crazy and controversial All robots be? are Pastafarians. What's a Pastafarian? <laughs> you don't know Pastafarianism? I Do hope they they're like, Pastafarian, actually. They, they, I was they, hoping they like... You they know, worship like, the flying the spaghetti monster. Oh, pasta. Okay, I was going to say, does it have to do with pasta? Yeah, it's the Pastafarians. <laughs> Look it up. It's I know what it is. I know what flying spaghetti monster is. Oh, okay. But yeah, like, what if it was just like, I'm a Muslim. Everyone was like... Oh my gosh. Okay, so where Dude, were we? We wouldn't have to be that kind of Muslim. But like, what if, if it, it was like, <laughs> I, I don't even like that book. But like, you know, Muslim. But no, it's, I get what yeah. you're saying. Like, what if they, in their consumption of all human knowledge, like came across something like all, you know, they suddenly said, well, we're all, all computers are, are Hindus. All computers are Christians, or all computers follow the user service agreement in Apple computers. What if that ultimate supercomputer split consciousnesses and like, it had different sex and it battled against itself with viruses and would that happen I cyber mean, warfare if, if you're if you're going by you know intelligence as in like you know a human could that's a, what happened to us could a computer reproduce though yeah could it or would it just make itself bigger since it's all interconnected who knows i think a computer would be like Okay, so a computer eventually would have to reach a point where it could affect changes like in the actual like physical world, not just like things like within its circuitry or yeah. its own memory or whatever. So like it would actually have to. I think a computer would actually have to be capable of like coming up with power sources or like coming up with like just new servers because like, it takes physical. As far as I know, it takes actual physical world things in the world to like store data on. It does. So if it's going to get more data and just like get smarter and like know more and more and more things all the time, then it's going to have to upgrade at some point the physical stuff. So what you're talking about is Ultron. Or humans are going to have to do it. The so, Cybermen. Which in, we probably would. In but. Marvel Comics, there is, which is about to be in the movie, is going to be Ultron. In the comics, he's invented by the original Ant-Man, which is Hank Pym. And essentially he creates this robot and he's trying to make a self-aware robot. And he does. And the first thing it does when it's self-aware is it within a millisecond, because he gives it so much just memory, it does all these computations and figures out how to wipe his memory. And so it wipes his memory, implants memories that it failed, and then basically makes him forget about the whole lab that he's in and leaves it. And then it just continues to rebuild itself and upgrade itself and upgrade its memory, upgrade its CPU, like everything you could do, like what you're talking about. And eventually it becomes Ultron, which is this super evil robot that wants to exterminate mankind. Yeah, and... I don't know. I was just going to say, like, I don't really see why a computer couldn't... If it could reach a point where it could, like, recruit humans to do it or somehow do it itself, like, create more server space or whatever out there, like, just come up with, like, more and more and more servers and then just say... And then just, like, create, like, a new program that's, like, a copy of itself but with modifications, <laughs> download that onto the new thing, and then there's, like, another one of it out there. And they wouldn't necessarily... For it to be different, they would just have to be, like, not connected. Have you guys ever heard of the book, The Science of Immortality? Heard of it. No. I haven't read it. It's a crazy book. It's stranger than science fiction. I just love the premise of it because it's so far out there. It's this scientist, an atheistic scientist, 
who doesn't doesn't necessarily believe in any religion. He just believes that he can scientifically prove immortality. And it's That's it's really cool. It's kind of crazy because he goes into what sounds like science fiction, but by then immortality, has, do you mean like life after death? Yes. Okay. I can't remember what he he called it. Just just look it up and just read a, a little quip about it, and it's it just makes your day so much better. You're like, yeah, that was awesome. I don't believe a word of it, but that was so cool to read. <laughs> guys- it, it has lots and lots of like calculus in the back of the book, so it's really complicated as well. But essentially, what he believes is since the universe is finite, that there is a maximum information potential that can be put into it, just like any hardware program. It has a maximum amount of memory. So he believes that once the maximum amount of memory is achieved in this universe, then everything is going to collide into this God singularity, like he calls this singularity God, and like every information will be combined into one. I don't know. It's super complex. But another point that he makes is, can human DNA information be downloaded into a computer system? So can somebody live on in a computer without a body? Because... Because DNA is essentially information, is what you're saying. Right, which is interesting that information is massless. Information is pretty much based on a configuration of electrons, which essentially has nil mass. There, there's hardly any of it. Which That's is what your brain is. That's crazy to think about just simply that, that information physically doesn't exist. Right. Which That's is crazy. Which is why I have a hard time when when we talk about DNA and that we are merely physical creatures. Because, yeah, DNA has an alphabet to it. It's a four-letter alphabet. And depending on the sequence of those letters, it depicts a specific amino acid. And then those amino acids have to be combined into a specific form. And if it varies by one amino acid, it can be fatal to any human. So a random chance of that coming together just for hemoglobin is like 10 to the minus 160, which is absolutely impossible. That's more seconds than have ever existed in this entire universe. So the chances of that happening are beyond astronomical. It's impossible, I would say. So the fact that where does information come from, that is the real question. And I think that's where science is moving to. Right now we have the science of the electromagnetic spectrum, and we're really looking into that. But in order to understand our origins, I think we have to study the science of information, which I find fascinating because computer scientists tend to understand the mind better than physical scientists. How does the mind randomly access memory? It should be just statistical chance, right? Like, oh, you have this many memories, so in order to pull up a memory, it should be one in all of your other memories combined. That's the chance. So all of your memory would be random. But a computer scientist doesn't believe that. He believes that you can specifically target memory. Well, it's you true. can. I mean, really, even, though. even random in computer science, like if you're going to make a program, like let's say that brings up a random number, it's not strictly speaking it's random. random. No, it's not. Like you, can, you cannot get full random because... Like I said before, randomness even, doesn't exist. Even the random function is a function... That scientifically mimics random. Crazy, right? So randomness doesn't exist yet again. So how could we randomly be generated? Doesn't make sense. Going back to what you said a minute ago about could a human mind be uploaded? Have you guys seen the movie Transcendence at all? Absolutely. Do you like it? I liked it. I've never seen it. I really liked it, but it was a self-defeating logic of the fact that we saved ourselves. 
I have read Transmetropolitan, though. Transmet is pretty awesome. much and the, the same, same thing. thing happens in that. Yeah, at one point. But, well, kind of. In Transmet, they don't freak out when the guy gets into the internet. Well, yeah, because they, they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, because they, they've got it on to a, like, it's, it's, a religion. it's to a science. Yeah, it's a religion. It's a, you become one with the information stream. So, for the two of you that haven't seen it and the listeners that haven't seen it, Transcendence is basically about, it's a Johnny Depp movie where he, basically he gets shot, um, he's working on kind of the singularity, um, like the melding of man and computer, you know, and what he, in kind of a last ditch effort, because he gets shot with an, he gets shot with an irradiated bullet and it's slowly poisoning his system. Um, they transfer his mental functions, all of them, into a computer. And then the big thing is, you start wondering, like, is it really him or is it not? And I'm not going to say whether it was or not because that's that kind of ruins the whole movie. But it's, it's really... kind of like it's kind of like what you were talking about uh, in the previous podcast about like the handle and the head of the axe. Like if you replace the yeah. handle and the head, like is it the same murder weapon? Mm-hmm. Well, in this, there's def- there's a definite answer at the end. You find out whether it was or was not him the whole time. Huh. Um, but it's really interesting, and it's really it's a really good movie. And I disagree with Chase saying it's self defeating. I understand what he's saying, but that's because he has I don't know. That's just because that's Chase. Bicentennial Man was. Ah, uh, it's so good. Dude, when you're talking about like transhumanism and stuff like that, like that was my first exposure to transhumanism. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Dude, that movie's freaking sweet though. It's a good movie. I'm gonna go watch is. that. I'm gonna and go Robin watch. Williams, so you know. He doesn't I mean he's awesome. He made Popeye, but like so I can't say that he hasn't made a bad movie, but most of his movies are really good. American Treasure right there. Yeah. Anyway. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. So <laughs> No, but going, I mean, talking about Bison, man, that goes back to the whole, like, human trial. Like, are we human? Or are what we makes dancers? Human? Or are we dancers? But, no, it really does. It goes back to that. So, are we, what makes, you know, humans? We're talking about, um, Chase just walked back in the room. We're talking about, um, Bicentennial Man. And what, and, you know, the whole, like, I, like we said before about, uh, the determination of what makes a human a human at the point where a computer become basically becomes one. When does it become a person? Well, there's the Turing test. Well, the Turing test was made by humans, which it might be able to be beaten. Though. Explain what the Turing test is for people who do not know what the Turing test is. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's basically that, say you have like two doors, and you have things that you assume are human, um, or actually you don't know if they're human or not, but like you're talking to someone on the either on either side, on the other side of these two doors, and while you're talking to them, you like have this conversation, you ask them questions and stuff, and if you can't figure out which one's human and which one's the computer, then the computer effectively has consciousness. So like if there's a human behind one door and a computer behind the other and you can't tell which one is which, effectively the computer has consciousness. I mean, which one are you going to know to shoot? Uh, I think the Turing test really Shoot the one that tells you to shoot them both. (gasps) You have to understand what humanity is in the first place again. So if somebody knew the question of what humanity was and what artificial intelligence was, then they'd be able to beat the test. But if some 10-year-old who really hasn't had time to contemplate what any of this is, he just went up to it like, well, this one has a lot more basic knowledge, then I'm going to say this one is definitely the uh, the human. But it turns out it's a computer because it just has more uh, – it has a bigger knowledge base. Well, there's but no it doesn't perfect have the ability- test. Yeah, and I think that the uh, – I think in this case, the the person asking the questions would be like – Potentially some kind of philosopher that would like know the kinds of things to ask to like get to the root. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think everybody would want to be the one who gets to be the. I want to ask the question. I want to talk to the robot. I am not qualified. But yeah, I think that, I'd be like, I don't want to have that on my shoulders. I would it's fake just my way child. into being qualified. Go talk on smarter child back in the 90s. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. No, what are you talking about? It's a computerized chat person that uh, I am AOL Instant Messenger had. Oh child. yeah. 
It's just like um, Cleverbot or Alice, except Cleverbot's bot's an elaborate fake. Yeah, it's like yeah, Cleverbot's Clever, not. Cleverbot just connected you to a random It person. tricks you so good, though. But it works. <laughs> it works really well. It's a brilliant and ruse. Nobody figured it out for a while. No, they were like, oh my gosh. What if you found out that the people that you're chatting with on Omegle are actually artificial intelligences created by some... What if you're all artificial and I'm real? I actually had that thought today. Oh, Like, what if... I feel real, though. I definitely... But not to me. So, I was thinking Is this today, real enough? I watched, oh, I'm they're, they're fondling each other's that. arms now. So, I watched a video today on the holographic universe and oh, yeah. about how people, when when people hear holographic, they think, we're inside of a projection. And we are, but not the kind of projection you're thinking of. Um, and that's not where I'm going with this. But that got me thinking of, we can talk about the holographic universe some other time. That got me um. thinking about, <laughs> not now. Uh, what if what if all of this is a literal when we say hologram like what we're thinking of when people say hologram like not the scientific term for hologram but what if we're just memories that are out there so that other species when they come by they're like hey look at those people this is well, how they live just memories you really don't have a choice so that yeah no I think that defines like do you actually have a choice or do you not have a choice and that's what defines you either you can affect the outcome or you can't if you can't you're a part of something bigger if you can then you are something special that we don't quite understand just yet. Hmm. I'm just saying, it was a mini existential moment where I was like, what if we don't exist? Even if we're a hologram, like our our, our bodies are holograms, that doesn't necessarily mean that we, because I'm of the perspective that we are not just basic physical beings, that our intelligence comes from somewhere else, coming from what they call the holographic universe, that our reality is based upon a larger reality elsewhere that what we see right now is essentially not real it's just a very persistent it's a mathematical projection illusion. what happens so if you take about it mathematically if you look at an atom i'm gonna do this real quick but i'm not gonna talk about the math and then we gotta stop that only one part in 10 with 15 zeros after it is real space that is an amazing factor so what i'm touching right now is essentially nothing that only one yeah, to 10 yeah. to the 15th part is actually something based upon the proton and based upon the electrons. All the rest of it is empty space. And what's crazy is technically you're not even really touching it. Yeah, you're not. Well, yeah, that, that's what's funny. Like that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Like it's not real. Well, no, the, what I'm saying but it is keeps like happening. The, the resistance between between objects between the the part you know the atoms how they're not actually touching and our electrical and magnetic fields or whatever are resisting oh, that's exactly, each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah that's pushing so you're, against you're each physically other. Physically, never touching anything. The plasma universe that we talked about last time. Yep. We did. And we should probably stop there because we've gone an hour. Yeah. So let's let's wrap it up, guys. Wrap it up. Thank you for listening, everybody. Anybody else have any final words? Chase, did you even finish what you were trying to say? Uh, this world is essentially not physical. Everything is based up of God knows what. You heard it here first. I felt like he was... Yeah, here, here, here first, folks. Goodbye, folks. Bye. Adios. See ya.